you'll turn with me in your Bibles this morning or find your bulletin insert with our passage of Scripture printed upon it, which we will use as a unison reading found in Acts chapter 2. And remember, from a context standpoint, anytime we go to Acts 2, we're talking about the day of Pentecost. We're talking about God's gift of the Holy Spirit uh, to His church. And we're also talking, as Julie mentioned to the children, Peter's sermon. And where we pick up the story is right at the end of Peter's sermon. So we'll begin to read at verse 37. Let's read the Word of God together. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I have this little book in my office that someone gave me a long time ago. And the title is, You Might Be a Preacher If. And it's just filled with these little one-liners. For example, you might be a preacher if people sleep while you're talking. (laughs) Now, you may remember that happened to the Apostle Paul. We can read about that in the book of Acts. And it's happened to me as well. Or you might be a preacher if the words and in conclusion mean absolutely nothing to you. (laughs) Or you might be a preacher if people leave while you're talking. That has happened to me over the years, and most of the time you have a good excuse for that. But I just wonder if Peter ever had that happen to him. I'm not so sure because of the way we read the reaction from this crowd to his sermon here in Acts 2. For we're told many were cut to the heart 
and that some 3,000 souls were added to the church. And Luke tells us in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. As we come to a passage like this, we have to remember that Luke's main concern with this book of the Acts is to talk about the church, to talk about this new church that the power of the Holy Spirit is birthing and to talk about how that Spirit enlivens this church and directs them to the, to the effect that they begin to have an, a great impact on the broader community around them. And Luke describes their witness very specifically here. We see that it's a fourfold embodiment of the gospel with devotion to teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And this devotion to teaching is easy to understand. I mean, if your church has just picked up 3,000 new people, you have a lot of teaching to do. But notice that what the text really says is that it's these new Christians that are devoted to this teaching. And that verb means to persist in, to hold on to something. That is to say they're learning day in and day out. That's how they've devoted themselves. Think about it. The stories, the teachings, the parables of Jesus all need to be learned as well as the fulfilled scriptures from the law and the prophets. This church knew that they needed to keep learning. There was so much to learn, so much to look at. And this teachable spirit would have provided a good witness to the rest of Jerusalem because, you know, just like me, no one likes someone who claims to know it all. And this church was showing to the community at large that they didn't have it all down. They knew that there was a lot that they needed to learn. And I just wonder, as we look at that, and we look at that early church, how do we compare as a congregation? Are we really devoted to the teaching of Scripture? Are we really devoted to the Word? Do, do our hearts hunger for it? To want to know it and to apply it? I don't want to critique you unnecessarily, but sometimes I'm not as sure that as a congregation we're as tuned in to Bible study as we need to be because if we were, then our Sunday school classes would be filled to overflowing. If we were, our Wednesday night Bible studies would be overflowing. Our women's Bible studies, our men's Bible study. Surely we don't know it all. Is there a hunger, a desire to know more of God and His Word and His will for us, a devotion to it, to not only just know it, but to apply it in our daily living? Notice they also devote themselves to fellowship, and that word in the Greek is a word you've heard before, koinonia. 
Some have stated that the the real miracle of Pentecost is to be found here, that from so diverse a group of people, a unified body of believers is created. Notice that it's a fellowship which produces astounding wonders and signs, not the least of which is that all those who believed were together and had all things in common. You know, if we go back and look in the Old Testament, in the law, Deuteronomy 15, we see a a land there talked about that is free of poverty. And that land now takes visible shape within a fellowship that goes beyond the bounds of our normal friendships. People give of their time, yes, of their talents and their skills. They're loving each other. They're caring for one another. But they even give of their possessions so that all needs might be met. You know, to some extent, that's what we mean in the benediction at the end of our service when we say, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. We're talking about the power. We're talking about the comfort, even the boldness to be Christ's servant where you are. But at the same time, it's also the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life so that you willingly give of your time, so that you willingly give of your talents, so that, yes, even you give of your material benefits to help not just this church, but the community as a whole. What witness do we provide when we think about this kind of fellowship? Is it superficial or is it deeper and more abiding? so that it begins to impact the broader community around us. I have part of a letter that I want to read to you that we received from some personnel at the school district near the end of November. And I quote, I cannot think of enough words to express my appreciation and gratitude for the wonderful evening of food and fellowship offered by the Just Joy folks to the Rock Hill School's special education teachers, therapists, and assistants. The food was outstanding, and the special attention was just the boost we all needed to move us toward the holiday season with thankfulness in our hearts. I am touched that the members reached out and made every one of us feel so special. We still talk about how magical the evening was. Now that's just one letter. I could read other emails about other events that made a difference in someone's life. You see, this church is giving a good witness to the community because we're giving of what we have in order to meet the needs of others and sometimes that need is as simple as appreciating what people do for special children right here in our community. We're learning how to be devoted to fellowship. We can see from the text that this young Jerusalem church was also devoted to the breaking of bread. 
We're told they broke bread in their homes and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. And when I read that, I thought, that sounds like ARPs. This willingness to gather together for meals is another visible expression of the work of the Holy Spirit in that young church's life. We have to remember that while we don't have specifics in the text, it's safe to assume that these 3,000 new Christians aren't all from Jerusalem, and I don't think they're all Hebrews either. And yet they come together at the table. You know how it is. We don't eat with just anyone. If our social boundaries ever come to the forefront, It's usually with whom we eat and where we eat. And if you don't agree with that, just go back to high school and think. You had a certain table of people you ate with every day. And you didn't eat with those people over there at that table. And you wouldn't be caught dead eating with these people over here. You may remember that was always one of the main criticisms leveled against Jesus because of the people with whom He chose to sit at table. The Jewish religious leaders more than once would say in a despising way, this man eats with publicans and sinners. At some times and some places, we may be most like Jesus when we're willing to eat with anyone. What about you? Can you eat with anyone here? Can you eat with anyone off the street, anyone out in the greater community? The question is not only can you, but but will you? I mean, after all, we do that at communion. We, in essence, eat with Anyone here that God brings on that particular day to worship, the members that are gathered as well as any visitors who participate with us in that sacrament. And that's what some scholars believe is meant by this phrase, the breaking of the bread, that we're talking about communion, that we're talking about here in Acts 2, worship through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I don't know that we can determine that with certainty from the text, But I would imagine it means that along with regular times of of fellowship and enjoyment around the table where people enjoyed each other's company in light of their shared faith in the Lord Jesus and all He'd done for them just as you and I enjoy each other's company at our fellowship meals in Robinson Hall on Wednesday evening. Regardless of what it means, we can agree that in good Jewish fashion, whenever the blessing was said at the table, the table became a holy place and eating together a sacred activity. It may be that when they ate together, they not only remembered the work of their Lord, but but looked forward to that heavenly banquet that He told them about that day in the kingdom in the future. Whatever they did, their coming together in unity was a great witness to the larger community. What about ours? The fourth emphasis we read about was their devotion to prayers. They persisted in prayer, strengthening the prayer life of the entire Christian community. 
That's why our prayer teams have been so important through our revitalization process the past three years because prayer strengthens the entire community. You see, people who remember each other in prayer can survive the arguments that come in committee meetings, the misunderstandings that come in this group or that group, and the separations which otherwise might destroy their unity. People who pray together, who who keep the Lord's day in the same way, achieve a unity of spirit in spite of their differences, in spite of the fact that they do different things out in the community, through the week, under different circumstances, in different places. Notice that they also continue to go to the temple, even in the midst of of all of the new things that the Holy Spirit was doing in the life of the church, the community does not neglect those traditions that have meaning and have sustained the people of God from generation to generation to generation, and neither should we. And I'm talking here about the basics, the basics of worship and prayer and attention to God's Word in our lives. And all these activities teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayers, we see a well-rounded picture of the church and the marks of the Holy Spirit truly at work. Obviously, the question becomes then, do we see that same sort of thing in the life of this congregation? Is the work of the Holy Spirit evident? Is growth taking place? Are we as a congregation corporately growing up together in the fullness and stature of the Lord Jesus Christ? We talked some about these kinds of questions at our joint officers meeting this past Monday night. And we talked about how when the Holy Spirit is at work, when we're being more conformed to the image of Christ, certain distinctive characteristics can be seen in the life of the church. For example, that we're oriented toward the future. Or that we are driven by the vision that we've been given by God's holy word. Or that we have more of a community focus. That there is new leadership in our midst that we have people not just supporting the church financially, but actually investing in kingdom's work, and that lives are being changed. And we talked about as officers how we see many of these things taking place. It's not that we've arrived yet, but we see many of these things happening. We have more of a focus on the community. We obviously have new leadership in the life of our church. We have people who are moving from just being a provider for the work of God's church to actually investing in His kingdom week in and week out. And we do know of some lives that have been and are being changed. But the point is to never stray far from these basics that we find right here in the text. That's one reason we must ask this all-important question about the witness we provide. Because sometimes in the modern church, 
We see everything from aerobics to basket weaving, anger management to English as a second language. Not that any of these are bad or possibly unneeded, but at times socialization can be substituted for the gospel or just a mere busyness is offered instead of a spirit-empowered community. We have to remember what Jesus told Martha in Luke 10 when He said one thing is needful and Mary has chosen the best portion. You remember when He said that? You remember what was going on? Mary and Martha were there in the home and Martha was complaining because Mary wasn't helping her in the kitchen there. Martha was being a great servant in the kitchen and Lord, Mary's not helping me at all. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the most important thing. And so it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we emphasize the majors and not the minors, that we talk about these things that are most needed. The other reason we ask this question is because of the impact this witness of the early church had on their larger community. You see, it's because they were devoted to teaching and fellowship, because they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayers, it's because of the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work among them that we can read in our passage that all came upon every soul and that they had the favor of all the people. Why this all? Why, why is this favor so prevalent? Because they were authentic. Because they were meeting needs. Because lives were being changed. Because the community was turning into a better place in which to live. They were a genuinely caring, happy fellowship filled with a deep devotional spirit. It's no surprise that the favor of the people were upon them. You see, when the sermon title asks the question, what witness do we provide to the community, we're not asking a question about programs. We're not asking if we go door to door with some kind of evangelism program or whether we blanket apartment complexes with gospel tracts. I'm asking a more introspective question. What witness do we provide to the community by the way we live day in and day out by the attitudes we have? Are we involved in the lives of others? Are we making a difference not by our gifts or our skills? Are we making a difference because of the Holy Spirit who's working in us and through us? What do people in this community think about when they see or hear the name First ARP Church? Do we find favor in the sight of greater Rock Hill and thus bring honor and glory to God? You see, as we move toward this kind of devotion to these things that are needed, we will become more authentic Christians. And as we persist in prayer, in worship, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in learning, will provide an excellent witness to the community and will move one step closer to being the church we need to be.
for God's honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father,